Hi, my name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 20. Woo! Got to do a mini celebration for that. Uh, We are reading from the NIV version of the Bible. We're starting with Genesis 37, then reading Job 27 and 28, Proverbs 3, verses 25 to 27. Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. His father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and saw a cavern of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. 
Judas said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Job 27. And Job continued his discourse, As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice? The Almighty who has made my life bitter. As long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not say anything wicked, and my tongue will not utter lies. I will never admit you are in the right till I die. I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. May my enemy be like the wicked, my adversary like the unjust. For what hope have the godless when they are cut off, when God takes away their life? Does God listen to their cry when distress comes upon them? Will they find delight in the Almighty? Will they call on God at all times? I will teach you about the power of God. The ways of the Almighty I will not conceal. You have all seen this yourselves. Why then this me meaningless talk? Here in the fate God allots to the wicked, the heritage a ruthless man receives from the Almighty. However, many his children, their fate is the sword. His offspring will never have enough to eat. The plague will bury those who survive him, and their widows will not weep for them. Though he heaps up silver like dust and clothes like piles of clay, what he lay up the righteous will wear, and the innocent will divide his silver. The house he builds is like a moth's cocoon, like a hut made by a watchman. He lies down wealthy, but will do so no more. When he opens his eyes, all is gone. Terror overtake him like a flood. A tempest snatches him away in the night. The east wind carries him off, and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It hurls itself against him without mercy as he flees headlong for, from its power. It claps its hands in derision and hisses him out of his place. 28. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Mortals put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwelling, they cut a shaft. In places untouched by human feet, far from other people, they dangle and sway. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as by fire. Lapis luzali comes from its rocks, and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No birds of prey known that, that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it, and no lion prowls there. People assault the flinty rock with their hands and lay bare the roots of the mountains. They tunnel through the rock. Their eyes see all its treasures. They search the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. 
But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onks or lapis lazuli. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and, and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then did wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it, and he said to the human race, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. Proverbs 3 verse 25 Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to act. All right, so we've started the Joseph story. Joseph's name in Hebrew means God will give. I've always thought it was interesting that Jesus' earthly father's name was Joseph too. In this story, Joseph is the first son to Rachel, the 11th son to Jacob, and he's a teenager, 17 years old, and perhaps a bit naive as he shares the dream he, dreams he has, which I do think God gave him, um, but he shares them with his brother. So kind of showing a lack of discretion about what to say, who to say it to, and how to say it. Maybe that's just the marketer in me. But the catalyst to the problem is favoritism, similar to the story of um, Jacob and Isaac with their sons um, showing favoritism. We see it here again. So Jacob didn't really learn from his own personal experience, I guess, in this case. There was favoritism being replayed and manifested in the colorful robe and the double portion of inheritance that uh, Jacob was giving to Joseph. When he's like the 11th son, uh, that's going to cause some problems. So now Joseph's position of favor with his father, plus his stated dreams relaying, you know, amped up all this sense of jealousy in his brothers. Even his father rebuked him, but his father kept the dreams in mind, the passage states. So Jacob had already given a bad report to his parents of his brother's work previously and was viewed, viewed as a spy or a tattletale. This, coupled with the favorite, favored position, made manifest with the robe and his dreams, which he shared, created what might be called the perfect storm. When Jacob sent his son out again into the fields to his brothers, it's like we sit on the edge of our seat. We're anticipating the conflict, right? Lo and behold, it happens. The brothers are so angry they want to kill Joseph. But the oldest brother, Reuben, says, let's not kill him, but throw him into this cistern or well um, that's dry instead. The author indicates that Reuben was devising a plan to rescue Joseph, and the brothers agreed to this plan, not the part about rescuing him, but the part about not killing him and just throwing him into the well and letting nature take its course. So the brothers agreed to this plan and stripped Jacob of his symbol of favoritism, his robe, and threw him into the dry well. 
Now, I always thought the next steps were simple, but the brothers, you know, saw a new opportunity to sell their brother instead of kill him or let him die into slavery. And so that's what happened. But I was always perplexed by the verse uh, 29, where Reuben returns to the cistern or well and saw that Joseph was not there. And he tore his clothes. And then in verse 30, he went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? So the brothers slaughtered a goat and dipped blood on Joseph's robe and took it back to their father. My brain is like, why would Reuben be shocked that Joseph wasn't there if he helped put put him there and was the one to sell him into the slavery plan? And why would he go tell his brothers that Joseph wasn't there instead of ask them where Joseph was if Reuben was not in on the sell him into slavery plan? So Marty Solomon from the Bema podcast reviews rabbinical scholarship and points to a work by Rabbi David Foreman called Genesis, a Parsha Companion, which points to Genesis 42.21. When the brothers state they're being punished because of what they did to Joseph, specifically they say they were being punished for seeing how distressed Joseph was when Joseph pleaded for his life and they wouldn't listen. This is viewed certainly wrong because it's oppressive and dehumanizing to not listen to people's cry. But it's interesting that it doesn't state there perhaps was was a more serious crime of selling Joseph into slavery. It's as if the brothers didn't know about this or acknowledge it, and it points back to Reuben's surprise when they saw that the well was empty. Now going back to Genesis 37, the passage we just read in verse 25, where we read that the brothers saw the Ishmaelites in the distance and Judah proposed to sell his brother— It's assumed they went to the Ishmaelites in the distance to make the deal. Then abruptly in verse 28, we read that the Midianite merchants came by and the verse reads the brothers pulled Joseph out and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites. Um, And then the Midianites have him and then they sell him to Egypt. So what's going on here? What is going on? So in Rabbi Foreman's text, one commentary perspective points back to the Hebrew language, where they, in quotes, pulled him out of the cistern is what's actually written in Hebrew. But for some reason, the NIV and other English versions add in the brothers instead of just leaving it as they. So instead of keeping it they, if we keep they, they, this is how the verse reads in 28. So when the Midianite merchants came by, they pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So in that case, it kind of makes sense that the brothers didn't pull him out if we don't add the brothers and we keep it as they. So some scholars say the Ishmaelites are the same as the Midianites and others view them differently, suggesting the author would have a specific reason to use different names. On one hand, it could be the same group or name, but a large caravan and perhaps a subculture group within the Ishmaelites were called the Midianites. In any case, it seems like what might have happened is that Judah and the brothers had went out and negotiated a price of of 20 silver shekels for their brother, but another group within the trading caravan heard Joseph's cries and took him out of the cistern, selling him or taking him for themselves, because in verse 26, it again says the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, who became... um, who's one of Pharaoh's officials. Maybe it's just me, but I see this connection between the brothers who become the 12 tribes of Israel, and later Jesus picks 12 disciples, and one of them, Judas, sells Jesus by betraying his location for 30 pieces of silver. Then back to this story where Judah is negotiating to sell Joseph for 20 silver shekels, both of which was the average cost of a slave trade at the time. 
But I find it interesting that, that the brothers are surprised by the empty cistern or well when the disciples are equally surprised to the point of disbelief when the women tell them the grave of Jesus um, where he was buried is empty. I cannot seem to get past the surprise of Reuben, why he went to tell his brothers Joseph wasn't there if they had sold him into slavery. Had Reuben simply left for something and his brothers were just remaining silent about their action? That's possible too. But then you would also have to explain why in verse 42, 21, the brothers do not see selling their brother into slavery as their crime worthy of punishment, but instead see their lack of mercy for his cry of distress, not to kill him or let him die in the well is the problem. So much to think about, but the theme I'm seeing in today's passage is the betrayal of Joseph by his brothers, the exile of Joseph from his family, and the surprise of the empty well. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.